Welcome to the Influence Podcast, Collision Edition. My name is Tom Yanni. And I'm Keith Wallace. Tom, on today's episode, we're really going to be in your kind of driving lane or everything around content creators and social influencers. What's your take on the, the industry and the ecosystem as it is right now? I think the interesting thing that we're going to get into with Anna is influencers, that word went from being something that was dismissed to something that was considered a dirty word. Don't call me an influencer, call me a creator. Influencer marketing as a term is still largely what it's referred to, but now it's just become ubiquitous. It's become something that is part of most businesses' media mm -hmm. plans, at least at a large to enterprise level. And there's so many different reasons for that. A big one is the cost of production if you're doing everything in-house versus working with content creators. There's cost savings to be had. These influencers also give you an opportunity to reach a broader audience, which you'd otherwise be paying to tap into. There's the authenticity piece. There's a lot of different reasons for it. But in my shoes, it's just funny because I remember the conversations where people would sort of stick their nose up at the concept. And those same people nowadays are running multi-million dollar programs across the world. And so it's happened like pretty, pretty quickly. Now, one of the biggest changes that's happened more recent, recently within the industry is shifting from YouTube and Instagram primarily to TikTok. Mm -hmm. And on TikTok, it's especially difficult because the pace of play there is so fast. Trends come and go. It's unpolished. It's raw. You can't plan around it the same way. And brands have a lot more difficulty with that because it means relinquishing control, which is something that they would have spent their entire time trying to do to get a real handle on their brand. So we're going to be getting more into that today with Anna Anderson, the Director of Social Talent at Condé Nast. And this is going to be a really interesting one. And again, like you just said, it cuts close to a lot of what we do. So let's get into it. Yeah, I'm excited. So today, before we kind of kick into everything, I'd love to just learn a little bit more about your thoughts on the difference between influencer marketing and content creator marketing. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's a good question because I think the focus that we have at Condé Nast, which I think you've rightly pointed out, is, is more around content creation than anything else. And we basically provide working with, well, we still call them influencers because it's just helpful. It, it helps our clients understand who we're talking about. But the main reason why we supply influencers to our clients as as an offering is really because of that they can capture and then we look at the influence that they have from a social standpoint as as an added benefit and the reason why we decided to to focus that way is because first and foremost for us we believe that especially working you know with a lot of luxury brands and a lot of high-end consumer brands our advertisers come to us for a certain quality not only that, but also when we are then associating this content with our titles, which we do a lot of the time. So, for instance, if we run, let's say, a traditional influencer marketing campaign on behalf of one of our clients, 95% of the time, we will also use those assets in posts that come from one of our brands, be that social posts or be that in um, native articles online. So for that reason we need really high quality content in order for us to be able to associate our brand names with it for it not to, you know, appear jarring. Condé Nast has seemed to place a big emphasis on discovering new creators and granting opportunities to people that might not necessarily have hundreds of thousands or millions of followers, but just have a unique talent, skill set, passion, and produce interesting content. So I'm just wondering how your team internally has balanced that idea of working with influencers, but focusing on the content that they create 
more so than the size of their following? No, I think for us, that comes down to when we look at who would be a good fit for our clients from a from an ambassador perspective or from a campaign perspective, we predominantly look at who they are as a person and what story they can tell that helps with that creative message that we're trying to bring across. As with you know anything that we do editorially, we really believe that storytelling comes first. You know, we always try and find, you know, if we're working with a lifestyle brand, for instance, we will be looking for up and coming creatives within food or within design or photography or whatever that might be. They may not always be creatives in the sense that they are content creators. They might be creatives in the sense that they have a job that allows them to be creative in their jobs. And some of the time we approach people that have never done content creation like this before with those people and with everyone else, but with them even more so, we work really closely with them up front in order to guide them through that process. And we provide them with the tools that they need. The one thing that is important to note, though, is that for all of these productions, they are always self-shot. But some people have less experience doing self-shot content than others, and some have none. And for those who don't have any experience, we will guide them in terms of how to capture it. We give them very clear shot lists. We might give them a list of what they need to provide as a voiceover. We also work with them up front, and we do this with most of our talent in terms of location, outfits, all of that. And then with those people who have never created content before, what we generally tend to do is we we tend to get the assets back from them as just you know a load of files that we then edit together in with our post-production teams in-house. And then we send the content back to the talent for them to post. We do do this with more, you know, established creators as well. There's always an element of post-production from us to ensure that the storytelling really flows, that the quality is just really good. Either way, however skilled they are, there will always be some element of that. So there will always be an asset being sent back to the talent for them then to post. I I love that. I I think it makes so much sense. I think brand alignment is obviously paramount from you from the get-go and it's not about the actual audience but just making sure the creator is the right fit for the brand with so many content creators out there and kind of having to cast your net so wide how does your team find the right talent and what avenues do they go to find these people we're super lucky in the sense that we're a you know we're a global company you know we have got 10 wholly owned offices across the world and then many many more subsidiaries in terms of franchisees so we have lots and lots of amazing colleagues globally to call on when we need, you know, specific market expertise, be it, you know, our editorial teams for our various publications or be it our creative teams that work across all of the editorial teams. I mean, a lot of the time, because I, I work in a global function, our briefs will be for anything from Korea to Spain, for instance, and our knowledge, because we're in Europe, might be a bit better with Spain, but maybe not so great with Korea. So it's fantastic to be able to to speak to those teams. It's also super helpful because, as you can imagine, the people working for Vogue and, and GQ and Vanity Fair and all of these titles, I mean, a big part of their job is finding up and coming talent and knowing who is, you know, on people's radars. We really use that to our advantage. But I also have to say this, we started offering this to our clients a little over two years ago. And of course, the more projects we run, the easier it gets. So, you know, my team is growing. 
but also our little black book of, of go-to people is also growing. Having said that, we are very agnostic when it comes to talent and we will work with some talents twice, but most of the time, you know, we cast afresh for every single campaign. But yeah, no, it's definitely experience definitely helps. And then having fantastic editorial teams and talent bookers across the world is, is a huge benefit. And I think that's one of the reasons why people come to us for this type of service, because they know that we will be able to find people that, you know, they might not have thought of themselves. It's really interesting. And you mentioned it's been a couple of years that these types of programs have been rolling out with different content creators. I'm wondering how the evolution of that conversation has taken place with your clients. So when you first started pitching this to people or pitching ideas that included these content creators, and in some cases, like you mentioned, people that might have incredible talents, but not as much experience as it pertains to production, that sort of thing. Did you ever get uh, pushback from clients or people on board from the start? Or how has that conversation evolved with your clients over the last few years? A slight caveat is that globally in the team that I sit in, we've been offering this for a couple of years. I know that our local markets have been offering work with influencers in some shape or form before, but I think that the volume at which we are doing it globally in this team has has is definitely different now to what it was two years ago. I'm not going to lie, we weren't early to start offering this. I mean, it had even if it's still an industry that is not super mature, it had been going for a while when we decided that this was something that we wanted to do. So I think our advertisers were definitely ready for it. Mm-hmm. Some were already, they were asking for it. So it was fantastic to be able to start offering it. And if they weren't already asking for it, they got really excited when we said that this is something that we can offer now because we have a really strong relationship with most of our advertisers. There are many brands in our field that, you know, we don't have some sort of relationship with. Thankfully, they they trust us. And I think that's been a huge benefit when it comes to not maybe having to do a lot of, you know, persuading like you might need to do if you're a startup influencer agency, for instance. So already there, there was a lot of trust that I just thankfully just slipped straight into but also the, the the thing to the thing to note is that we still offer traditional shoot production as another avenue for our advertisers. So it's really up to them, you know, what suits their KPIs, and we guide them on that. And again, we're we're, we're completely agnostic when it comes to that. You know, for some advertisers, it will be much more beneficial working with a global hero talent and working with a fantastic film director and doing, you know, a a really great piece of film that goes onto all all our titles. But for some markets, you know, their local offices really need something that resonates with that particular market and they might need more assets and more, more reach, then this is a good option. But it's also nice to be able to say to any advertiser who is a little bit wary that we can still offer the traditional offering. And what we've done with many brands as well is that we've done the, the sort of traditional shoe production for them. And then we've added this as an as a sort of extra. So, and that's sort of how we grew it as well. So we, the same brief that we would create for our shoot production, we would then give to our influencers, obviously tweaked so it was easier for them to achieve. But that meant that we created a a bigger campaign for our advertisers that follows the same narrative and gave lots more assets. It's quite nice to be able to offer both because that means that if someone is nervous, 
maybe they shouldn't be doing it or maybe they should just try it on a smaller scale. So maybe only 10% of their budget goes towards it to see. And what we've seen is that by starting that way, some of those budgets have shifted from, you know, a big chunk being put into traditional shoot production and a smaller chunk being put into influencer production that has then flipped and the bigger amount is going into to influencer production. And it sounds like you're really learning a lot from your traditional media and seeing what you can carry forward. But then obviously, it's still an emerging new advertising channel. What kind of unique challenges do you face with clients when you're bringing this kind of influencer content creator marketing to them? What are the unique opportunities that allows them to, to try for the first time? I think the unique, if we just start with the unique opportunity, it's definitely the association with our brand names because mm. we see... Of course, it's something that no one else can offer. So when we when we run a campaign, let's say an advertiser wants to spend media money with us for Vogue and they want to work with a certain number of talent as influencers, when the influencers post, they will post on behalf of the brand, but also on behalf of Vogue. So that immediately elevates the content and puts mm-hmm. that seal of approval, which our clients have come to us for, especially if it's a brand trying to reposition themselves or trying to establish themselves in a new market that I'm using Vogue just because it's, you know, something that's familiar mm-hmm. to everyone. But that association is, is very, very helpful because that immediately to the consumer shows that, okay, this is a brand that, you know, is being taken seriously by the probably the most important source in fashion being Vogue. A, that's a USP for us. And it means that, you know, we're able to offer something that no one else can. And it makes these campaigns look a bit different for advertisers. But it's also shown, which we didn't actually think would happen, but it's shown that the engagement as opposed to industry average has really gone up for this type of sponsored content. And we think that that's probably because of the brand association with Vogue, for instance, for sure. But it's definitely also because of the unique storytelling that we are providing. So for most campaigns, we do films or reels with our influencers and they're highly editorial. That's always telling a story being, you know, we can hero women that have achieved something in life and allow them to speak about that. So I think also that type of content really resonates with people. It's not just about you know, promoting a product. And we had this conversation with one of our fashion advertisers a little while back, a a luxury brand without naming any names that would normally do these influencer campaigns in-house. We promoted a bag for them and we did a very simple campaign where we only provided them with stills, but in the narrative of the content and also in the captions that the talent provided and the talent that we chose, there was a strong message where we allowed the audience a little glimpse into these people's worlds. And our advertiser could see that the engagement went up for these types of posts. And they definitely they said that it's it's definitely proven that with that added sort of yeah, editorial spin to it, the audiences have responded better than they would if we only worked with the same person and just showed the handbag. So I think that answers your last question and I've already forgotten your first question. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the first one was just about what would there be many challenges or what's the pushback you might get from clients when you first bring the idea of using an influencer content creator? No, I mean, there's always there's always nervousness and there's, of course, also nervousness about if it's a brand who hasn't done this much before, we have to really do our due diligence in terms of who these people are. 
for some of our brands, we have to go back so far as, you know, 10, 12 months back in history to make sure that nothing has been said. We are also lucky to have a, an incredibly skilled legal department at our fingertips that makes sure that our contracts are really, you know, they're really watertight when it comes to both protecting our talent, but also protecting our, our advertisers. We needed to make sure that we had that in place before we embarked on this journey, because Condé Nast, it's associated with trust, you know, and we saw during the pandemic that readership went up digitally for sure for us because we are a trusted source of information and people come to us in tough times because they know that they will get, you know, trustworthy information from us. The same goes for our advertisers. They come to us because they know that they can trust that things will be done correctly. There's a lot of work that's been going on behind the scenes and still is, you know, it's an evolution because there are new regulations and we learn new things from every single campaign. A lot of conversations with brands can be around that legal aspect and, you know, heavily involving our legal teams, making sure that they, you know, feel comfortable about, you know, what could potentially happen if something gets said or if anything that can happen in our world. And, you know, it does, it does all the time. And I think that is what makes our jobs challenging is because, as you said at the beginning, we work with people who aren't always used to working in this way. So it isn't actually like engaging with a model from a big model agency where they do this all the time, you know? So there will be challenges, you know, there will be people that say things that they maybe shouldn't have said, or they take their posts down or they post the wrong thing. And we just need to make sure that we're not only providing high quality content and high quality talent for advertisers, we're also providing a high quality service. That makes a lot of sense. Dealing with people can definitely bring variables that would be different than dealing with other forms of advertising or like you said, models, things of that nature, but they might be a little bit more accustomed to the request and whatnot. You mentioned a little bit earlier that in terms of sourcing talent and finding people for campaigns, you've got a really broad network, offices around the globe and people that you can tap into. Another sort of dimension of this is that platforms continue to evolve. And then the popular figures on those platforms continue to evolve. TikTok is a good example of this. A couple of years ago, sort of the new kid on the block. A year ago, I know from in our shoes, people were sort of like, is this somewhere we should be? Is this something that should be a focus? And then 12 months later, it just continues to grow. And brands are really trying to figure out how to make sense of that platform because it's kind of changed the game. You need a host. It moves so quick. It's so reactive. It's very different than other platforms in that regard where you can't map out a content calendar. By the time you go to publication, it might be too late. Condé Nast has effectively brought TikTok creators into the fold. I'm wondering some of the lessons that you've learned, how you enjoy working with TikTok creators, and even from an advertising perspective, how you make use of the advertising capabilities within TikTok. It's a good question, and I'm not going to be able to answer all of it. I'm going to put my, my hands up to that. We are, from a brand perspective, in terms of our brands like Bogan GQ and such, we're quite new to TikTok. And that also means that from a, from a media perspective, we're quite new to TikTok. So I mentioned before that all the projects that we do on behalf of our advertisers, we will make sure, you know, we will amplify that content across social platforms. And it's only recently that we're able to offer that on TikTok. So therefore, we haven't done a ton of campaigns in that space. We started to play with it a little bit. And we've 
also carefully dipped our toe in the water in the sense that we're starting to create more TikTok style content, but using it also for our own channels and also still using it for Instagram. So we're sort of, we're testing a little bit what works. I think the one thing between TikTok and Instagram for us is because we still need to have quite a lot of control over what we create because of that sort of editing part that I mentioned um, where we go in and apply some post-production to the content so that we can then use it in our channels. I'm not sure that always works with TikTok. So therefore we've been a bit, we're, we're being a bit careful with it. We definitely need to find our niche on TikTok as well. So watch this space. But at the moment, just the way the briefs have looked from our advertisers, it has made more sense to stay in the sort of safe lane where we have a little bit more control over the content rather than handing over all the responsibility to the talent, which I think is almost what you need to do on TikTok to be successful. And, you know, speaking to our talent, they they still feel that if they were to take a brief from a brand, it has to be almost 100% in their control because otherwise it's not going to perform with their audiences. They feel like the content that performs the best for them on TikTok or the reason why they have become popular on TikTok is because they are just themselves, you know. They're not sending a message on behalf of anyone else. I'm not really answering your question because I don't know the answer. For now, it's made more sense for us to use the traditional platforms, but I'm sure in a few months' time, that's that's going to be different. We've just done a part of a project on TikTok, and it's you know it did perform really well, but it might have performed even better if the talent had just organically posted it and didn't have to put the hashtags that it was a paid partnership and all of that. Yeah, it's it's an ongoing battle of figuring out these new platforms as they come and, and what works from a creative aspect and then from an advertising aspect and, and how they merge. With that in mind, thinking of kind of new platforms coming in the road, we've heard a lot about NFTs, we've heard about the metaverse, we've heard live shopping. What, what's your thoughts about the next couple of years and what are you leaning in towards or what are you leaning into with the future of marketing? What channels are you exploring? We are exploring all of that. And we have a team globally that specifically works with, with the NFT space. I think where the focus is predominantly without speaking out of terms is to understand how we with our properties and our brand names can provide you know services in that space and then I think the brand partnerships will then come but I think we first need to find what those opportunities are that we can offer as a publisher to then be able to sell services within that space when it comes to live shopping I feel like That is, of course, a really natural extension to what I do with talent. And I think it's something where we can also add a lot of value just because of that storytelling aspect that I was talking about earlier. So I think we have, you know, we've got lots lots of fun creative formats on YouTube, for instance, again, with Vogue. I think there's, there's a lot that can be borrowed from that in terms of adding that sort of editorial lens to it so that live shopping can kind of go a little bit from, you know, being just about describing a product and selling a product to maybe 
providing sort of more entertaining formats where the products are sort of woven in a little bit more rather than being at the forefront, if that makes sense. And that's definitely something we're speaking to our advertisers about. Just to go back to what I was saying earlier about TikTok, I think the reason also why the sort of the bigger luxury brands might not always come to us with the TikTok briefs at the moment is because a lot of that is being dealt with in-house. It is a new platform and they're also dipping their toes in the water and, and maybe not having their biggest spend in that field and therefore experimenting a little bit with it. I'm just guessing here. Whereas the more sort of established ways of creating content might be easier to then outsource to someone else. Yeah, no, I think, and with all of these things, with both, and to go back to live shopping and NFTs, I think all of it is super exciting, but I think it still needs to be considered not as a, I don't think one should just jump on the bandwagon just for the the sake of it. I think there has to be a long-term strategy, definitely with live shopping. From what I understand, you see the best results if you do a series of lives because you need to really prime your audience and get them used to seeing this type of content coming from you as a brand. And maybe when you're on to your fourth, your fifth, your sixth live, you're starting to see better conversion. You need to be ready to invest a little bit in it and look at a longer-term strategy for it. And I think the same thing goes with the metaverse and NFTs. It shouldn't be a stunt. It should be something where you can add value long term. And also from a personal perspective, I think, look at what you can give outside of the metaverse. Like what is tied to this? Is there an experience that can be offered in the physical world? Or how do you marry these two worlds together to really anchor it in what is, I guess, known to the consumer today? rather than just creating an NFT collection for the sake of it. We're talking about some of these technologies that emerge. It'll tie back to the creators as well, because um, you're going to end up seeing these NFT creators and creators in the metaverse, but coming back down to where we are in the moment, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, whatever the case would be, with the creators that you're working with and amongst your network when you're sourcing for talent, I'm wondering what advice you might offer to content creators out there that might help them stand out, because there's certainly a ton of people you know, there's been more content produced in the last year than in the previous sort of like billion years combined sort of thing, right? There's no shortage of options out there. And there would be a lot of people that would love an opportunity uh, to work with some of uh, your partners and and your brands. So what do you look for? What does your team look for? And how do people stand out? How do content creators stand out in your mind? I wish there was a secret sauce that one just had the recipe to, and then you could you could hand that out. It's obviously so incredibly individual who succeeds and who doesn't. And in some instances, you don't really understand, especially me. I'm, I'm definitely too old for TikTok. So most of it, I don't even understand like what the appeal is. We're always looking for a unique voice, you know, someone that has that has something to say in the field that they're in. So, you know, be that, you know, someone that, you know, works with ceramics, for instance, and, you know, is really passionate about that and has, you know, a fantastic story to tell about that. That's the type of person that we would be looking for. You know, someone who works, you know, with charities across the world or whatever it might be, you know, we were doing a shoot with a a big influencer in a few weeks. And she's really, really engaged in helping children in South America, for instance. And that's the thing that we will pinpoint and pick out from everything else that she does, because it's also, of course, the aspirational lifestyle and stuff is is appealing to people. But I think we have a, a responsibility as a big publisher to also find 
you know, those messages that we feel can really, you know, resonate with people. So I think for us, it's almost, it's almost about, you know, providing that depth, you know, and really finding that thing that is yours that you can then elevate and really go for as a creator and really, you know, highlight where we're always looking for female entrepreneurs, for instance, it's probably not the answer that anyone who's trying to succeed as, as an influencer wants to hear that they also have to find some sort of passion point that they have to be, you know, feeling super strongly about, but um, it is being able to provide that, that storytelling effectively. I think that's actually really good advice because the people that are, trying to get into the space to be an influencer. That's not really a sustainable model. The people that have a true passion and that comes through in the content that they mm-hmm. create, that's a, a sustainable way of engaging with people and of telling unique stories. And so I think that does make a lot of sense. And that's probably a good message for a lot of those creatives to hear. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Anna. I really appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. You can learn more about Condé Nast by visiting condenast.com. For the latest in digital marketing in the world of technology, check out theinfluenceagency.com and follow us online at Influence Agency. And for everything you need to know about Collision 2022, including tickets, visit collisionconf.com and feel free to use the code COLLISION10 for 10% off tickets. And thank you for listening in. We'll see you next time.